looking this fall at First uh, Peter. We're going to continue that today by looking at uh, uh, verses 13 through 25 in chapter 1. We're going to focus our attention on, uh, since we talked about verse 13 last week, verses 14, 15, and 16 primarily uh, this morning. The text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. First uh, Peter 1, 13 through 25. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, What we need to do today is look at this issue of holiness, just in case uh, you were uh, unclear about that uh, from the children's sermon. That's that's what we're going to talk about today. And so one of the things that you, in in an audience like this, in an audience today, when you say the word holy or holiness, there's probably a lot of confusion and and maybe even some mocking. Uh, Some people think, you know, when we, sometimes when someone says you're holy, you might think that's a criticism. Holier than thou, right? Not a, not a good thing that you want, some sort of self-righteousness, some sort of uh, something like that. Or you may hear the words holy and you may be thinking of uh, um, churches where women don't wear pants or uh, where uh, uh, there are uh, prohibitions against certain things. I, I know that... Uh, for years, there was a, a church in our presbytery, uh, a historic church, and uh, they had rules. And one of their uh, rules was that uh, whoever was the pastor, it was kind of in his terms of call, he had to preach a sermon once a year, at least one a year, on temperance. By law, he had to. Whether it was in his series or whatever, every 52 weeks, there had to be a sermon about temperance. And if you ever smoked cigarettes, tobacco, you weren't allowed to preach there ever because you weren't holy, because you smoked. Yikes. So um, um, as you hear this and as you think about this, I think this is one of the ways we tend to think about it. And my guess is the way this works is something like this. Uh, we, uh, we hear this thing about holiness, and we have this sense of God being separate, of God being powerful, of God 
being so pure that he can't abide sin. And, and we have this sense that we're not measuring up. And we have this sense that when we look at our lives, we think, well, there's not a lot of holiness in my life. I, I, I struggle with besetting sins and, and, and that sort of thing. And so what we tend to do and what we'll tend to conspire with one another so that we'll feel okay is we nibble around the edges about this and we'll define holiness by a certain set of behaviors or a certain set of prohibitions against certain behaviors without understanding the full extent of it. Now, Peter knew holiness in a profound way. One day, one night, actually, he had spent the night uh, fishing, 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 and not caught a thing, not caught a blasted thing. And Jesus sees him and says, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You don't know fishing, but I do. But you know what? I'll do it. So he throws the nets over on the other side of the boat, and they catch zillions of fish. Now, my response, I think, I don't know what my response would have been, but I would think that as somebody who's a fisherman who makes their living fishing, they would have thought, I have discovered a fish factory. <laughs> a few more days like this, and I can retire, right? But instead, he looks at Jesus, realizing the scope and the profound nature of the, of, of the miracle that's just been performed there. And he says, get away from me. I can't handle it. I'm a sinful man, and I live among a people that are sinful. After Jesus dies and is raised from the dead, Peter goes fishing again. Fishes all night, hasn't caught anything. Jesus is there on the lake shore making breakfast for the boys. And he tells them to cast his net on the other side of the uh, boat. And they bring in a haul of over 150 fish. And Peter says, it's the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat and goes to see him. Now, that's important for us to get our brains around this morning as we think about this issue of holiness. And so um, what Peter wants these exiles, these suffering, persecuted people to understand is this. Megan, you can put my notes up there. Is that hopeful people are holy people. As he said uh, last week, that we set our hope decisively once and for all fully on the grace uh, that is... Uh, uh, that will be fully brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now he calls on us to make a decisive break with our past, right? What, and to reflect the holiness that belongs to God. What he says here is, um, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, right? He says that, that we are to... Uh, not live in the ignorance or the futility or, or the ways in which our lives once were. So just now as we've made it, as, as the work of Christ, the grace of Christ, the gospel comes to us and we make a decisive uh, uh, action on our part where we're like, my hope now is no longer in myself 
or uh, in the government or in the church or, or in my spouse or in my friends or whatever. My hope is fully set upon the grace that is Jesus Christ that will be made fully manifest to me when he comes back. And so this hope for people who are struggling, for people who are suffering, for people who are experiencing the refining fire is the energy that drives this holiness that reflects the very character of God. Now, now here's, here's the thing that we have to do about, deal with this is, is we have to kind of uh, uh, discard our false notions of what holiness is and kind of come to grips with the, the stark and profound and powerful and beautiful and joyful demand that holiness is on the lives of people who belong uh, to Jesus Christ. So what does the Bible mean when it says that uh, we're to be holy? Well, like I said, we tend to nibble around the edges of holiness when we confine it to simply a set of behaviors. And you might be like, well, I'm holy because of the movies I watch or don't watch, or I'm holy because of the books I read or don't read. I'm, I'm holy because of what I eat and drink and smoke or don't, or I'm holy because of what I wear, right? Now, I've never run into anybody who thinks of holiness as caring for the poor, having a concern for justice, that holiness somehow or other is summed up in brotherly love or humility. The way we tend to think about it is, primarily, is that holiness is simply a matter of moral living. Uh, and it's simply a matter of, 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 of some sort of, of, of purity or whatever. But the thing is, what happens to us is, is we forget the very essence of God is holiness, that he is set apart that he is separate in his power, in his being, in his uniqueness, in his, in his justice, in his mercy, in his grace. And, and that when those uh, uh, cherubim were uh, flying around him, when he was lifted up in the temple and they said, holy, 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 whenever, they, whenever you read something in the Bible that's repeated three times like that, that the, the message is, this is uh, the, profoundly the essence of what we, we are talking about. God is holy. Right? He's set apart, he's unique. And, and, and Peter had that sense, Isaiah had that sense when confronted with the awful holiness of God that they're undone, that they're broken. Right? And so, so when we hear these things and we think, you know, well, I'm, I'm okay, I'm holy because I do these things or because I don't do those things, and we kind of suppress that understanding of things, it's no wonder that holiness is something that we mock or something that simply condemns us or something that we just simply don't think very much about. Next slide. So, you know, the, the, the prophets were, uh, uh, in the Old Testament, were telling the people all the time about what holiness was. He's told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So, so what does it mean to be holy? Well, the Bible gives us two primary meanings for the word holy or holiness. And the most basic meaning of the word is to be set apart or dedicated to God. In other words, whatever is holy, whatever uh, is by God's definition and by God's action is set apart. It's unique. And uh, it exists uh, uh, uniquely for God. Next slide. 
So, so when we come to God in faith, he changes our identity by changing to whom we belong. Now, now, one of the things that you'll note when you read in the Old Testament, there's lots of things that are holy that aren't people. There are implements and tools and bowls and stuff like that in the temple that are called holy. They're holy because they're set apart, right? So you might have two bowls. I've got one right here. You might have two bowls, and they look identical, right? Nothing different about either one of them. They're just bowls. But one has been set apart. That one is used only in the way in which God prescribes. It looks just like any other bowl, any other kind of bowl. There's nothing, it doesn't shine, doesn't have a halo, right? Some of you do. I see them right now. No. The saints among us, right? So, uh, but there's, there's, God identified it. He said, that's holy. I set it apart, right? Okay, so when you, when you think about this, one of the things that you have to understand about this is, is that this is the way God first and foremost thinks about it. So he says in Leviticus 26, 12, and I will walk among you and, you and will be your God and you shall be my people. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Right? Next slide, please, Megan. So this holiness describes a particular kind of relationship first and foremost, right? And that's what you have to see about this is that, the, the, that holiness is first and foremost because we belong to God and because God belongs to us. But by virtue of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us, by virtue of the blood that's been shed, the ransom that's been paid, as Peter says here, we are holy, And we shouldn't blush about that. We shouldn't think that's odd. We should celebrate this. Peter, Peter, Paul, the apostles will often write to churches who are people just like us, people who, who, who yelled at their kids on the way to church this morning, people who are discouraged, people who are, 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 have dark thoughts, people who, who struggle, people who, who uh, have besetting sin in their lives, all of those things. All of those things were true of them, and yet they called them saints or holy ones. Listen, I want to be, I want to be, be very clear about this. This first definition of holiness, if you belong to Jesus Christ today, that means you have his righteousness. That means you have his holiness. You've got to understand that. Because one of the things that is so hard, in fact, maybe the hardest thing in the universe is to live a holy life and not have his holiness. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. It is devastating. It is a burden that crushes. And you need to understand that. I mean, we, one of the things that we think about that is that we would be satisfied with the people that we know and love if they just did a little better. Well, let me tell you something. Doing a little better is crushing without the grace of Jesus Christ for us. So, so the, the first thing that we have to get is that because we are united to Christ, because the Holy Spirit uh, indwells me and has en engrafted me into Christ, because I am not my own, because I belong to him and he belongs to me, his righteousness and his holiness are mine. The church is holy. It is set apart. And it has been set apart by...
by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It has been set apart by the action of the, of the convicting and empowering work of the Holy Spirit. It has been set apart because God the Father has chosen us and elected us in Christ to be his, to be unique, to belong to him. That is our identity. So those who have responded in faith to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ have been united with and to Christ. To be a Christian means far more than just believing in God. It means to be united to him. That's so important, so important. I remember having my mind blown when, when my, um, uh, one of my early days in seminary, when my uh, systematic theology professor walked up to the, to the uh, lectern, his first, first words he'd ever lectured in a seminary class, and he said, the most important thing for you to know is that you are united to Christ. Your union with Christ is the most important practical doctrine for how you think about yourself and how you live your life. Now, the, the problem with that is, is we hear those words and we think, show it to me. I can't see it. And this business you're saying about, I, I noticed that, that some of you, when I said you, you have Christ's holiness, you are holy. Some of you are nodding your heads, but then some of you are thinking, well, I can tell you this guy right here is not holy. <laughs> Listen, I, I live with him. He ain't holy, right? Or, or, or it, it, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, how we, how we kind of think about that. I, yesterday was the... Uh, uh, Tennessee-Alabama football game, and it's a big rivalry in the South and has been for, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years maybe, maybe longer. And um, um, I remember sitting in the basement of my fraternity house watching the Tennessee-Alabama game one, one year with the holiest guy I knew. I mean, this guy was the kindest, gentlest, most pleasant, most clean uh, most modest. I'm going to tell you how modest he was. I'd never seen this before. He was so concerned about personal modesty that he had this thing that he wore when he went in and out of the shower that he snapped on around his waist so, so that he wouldn't reveal anything. He wouldn't appear immodest before people. Let me tell you something. 19-year-old boys, by definition, immodest. Really immodest. They don't care about that, right? In fact, they kind of like, like three-year-olds being naked in front of each other. It's a weird thing, right? Well, this guy, he was not like that. He was, he, I never heard him utter a bad word. I never saw, honestly, I never saw him do anything bad, ever, ever. So what was he doing with me, right? Yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> we're, we're sitting there watching the game. And uh, it's a blowout. Alabama's winning, you know, like 42 to nothing or something like that. And we're watching it. He was, he was, from, he was from Alabama. And they kind of slipped up a little bit, and they let Tennessee score a touchdown. He didn't say a word. Just got up, walked over to the window, and put his head through the glass. He was so angry. He's so angry. That was like... What just happened here? <laughs> what, what is going on? 
what, what, uh, what, all my circuitry just got blown up here because I don't, I don't understand how this is possible. How could you do that? And then, then I was really mad at him because I had to quit watching the game and, and take him to the doctor. So, um, so, so what happens to us then is, 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 is that holiness, the righteousness, the, the standing that we have, the, the fact that when God looks at us, he sees the holiness of Christ, that, that that has to be the thing that is primary for us, right? And, and, and because the, the fact of the matter is, if we simply limit it to behaviors, if we simply limit it to prohibitions, now listen, or to morality. Now, morality is important. It matters. But if we focus it simply upon morality outside of and, and not connected to, first and foremost, my identity in Christ, it is no wonder your miserable failures at holy living. Martin Luther, when he recovered for the church the doctrine of justification by faith, spent most of his ministry working out what it meant to have the righteous, perfect righteousness of Christ and still sin, right? And that's where we live, right? So, so this union with Christ is what really drives this. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Next slide, please, Megan. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with, God, with Christ in God. By virtue of our relationship with Christ, we participate in the very life of God. He dwells in us and among us, right? We dwell in him. And as such, we can say that in Christ, God's holiness is our holiness. In Christ, we are already holy. Now, I want you to understand that. I want that to be very clear. Because that is primary to what we need to address next. Next slide. So he says here that we are elect exiles, that we belong to God, that, we, that Jesus has ransomed us. And not only that, but he says that holiness is our identity, right? That is at the core of our being. That is who we are, right? And so it's important, it's really important for us to hear this. But then he goes on to say that this holiness must be made manifest in time and space by holiness in all our conduct. All our conduct. Now, when you, when you hear that, you know, one of, the things, one of the things you may be tempted to think about is, well, I really like that stuff about holiness being my identity, but now you're talking about something that I got to do. Now you're talking about something that has to be true of what I say, what I think, what I do, Right? So, so as we, and, and, you know, honestly, you think, look, I'm in, as Peter's already said, they're struggling. He's already said they're suffering. They're, they're already in the refining fire. They're, they're exiles, for goodness sake. Why in the world would you lay on them the burden of holiness? Stop it. Just tell me I'm good to go and let me get to brunch, right? But he says, let this be manifest, right? 
uh, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, conduct uh, flows from identity. But we have to be careful when we say that, because what we will do with that is, if we're not careful, is we'll make conduct simply a matter of a few behaviors that we're comfortable with identifying as holy living and that we're comfortable with condemning other people because they're not doing that as holy living and we kind of content ourselves with that, right? Um, When our kids were little, they would say things like, hey, we want to watch this movie. And, you know, the Browns, they're conservative nut jobs, just like you and mom, they let their kids watch that movie. Why can't we watch that movie? You know, they're holy, so don't, don't, don't deny us that they're doing it. Why don't you let, why don't you, why don't you let us do it, right? So, so if we can just kind of, and, you know, I never did say to them, we're holy, and we don't, you know, we're holier than the Browns, and so... I know that's true about them. That the fact that they let their kids watch that movie should cause you to pray for them. Let's, in fact, let's stop right now and pray for them. No. Right? So if we, do, if we take this word conduct simply to mean a certain uh, a number of behaviors or certain things that we're easily uh, identified with, then we're off track. It certainly means behavior, but it means more than that. Because he goes on to say in verse 18, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. That word ways is the same word as conduct. You see, it's bigger than just conduct. It's, it's lifestyle, right? It's not, it's not simply, you know, well, we don't, we don't read those books or we don't do this or whatever. It's so much bigger than that, Right? Because the ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Next slide. He says in in 2.12, same word again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Paul says in Galatians 1.13, same word. For you've heard of my former life. In Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. That's what Paul gave himself to. It was his life. It was his lifestyle. Or to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So this word means lifestyle. It doesn't mean just a few behaviors here that I can kind of content myself with, with thinking, oh, I'm doing okay. It means the whole of life. Because all of you is holy. All of you has been set apart by God. And therefore, we, we trivialize holiness when we make it just a list of behaviors whereby we can feel good about ourselves and feel, um, you know, kind of better than the people uh, who are uh, around us. So this word conduct, I think, is an unfortunate translation. It means lifestyle, way of life, how you live, Right? And this would make perfect sense if you think about holiness first and foremost as a matter of identity. If I am in Christ, if I belong to him and he belongs to me, and, and, and what that means is 
that at bottom, God's call to be holy is a radical, all-consuming claim on our lives, our loves, our hates, our bodies, our money, our time. Whatever you want to think about, whatever you want to list, whatever resources, whatever things that you have that are true of you, Jesus Christ, because he bled and died for you, because he ransomed you, he owns all of it. You're his. You're not your own, but belong body and soul, right? And so, so this, is, this is the way we have to think about it. And so, the, um, and I know right now you're like, oh, I really want to get to brunch. Because you're talking about, you mean the fact that I'm in Christ might have something to do with my body? My money? My time? Might holiness mean I tutor a kid on Tuesday afternoons? It's more than morality. It means death to our previous way of life, as he says here. Right? Next slide. So I no longer belong to myself, but to someone else. I live now knowing that I've been ransomed by the blood of Christ from futility. Right? And seeing that we're his portion. That's one of, I love that, that, that we're his portion of the one who is holy, let us do all the deeds of sanctification. Now, that sounds like something from the Bible, doesn't it? It's not. It's not from the Bible. Uh, it's actually from uh, a church father named Clement. Uh, we don't name kids Clement anymore, do we? I think, I can't remember the last time anybody was named Clement. But Clement's writing to a church, and he says, says this, Since therefore we are a portion of the Holy One, let us do all such things as pertain unto holiness avoiding evil speaking, foul and impure embraces, drunkenness, disorderliness, abominable desires, detestable adultery, execrable pride. Now, it's interesting that what this church father thinks the behaviors he wants to get at, they're primarily uh, relational, aren't they? I no longer belong, uh, next slide. Uh, For God, he says, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us cleave, therefore, to them to whom grace has been given from God. Let us clothe ourselves with concord, that is, peace among ourselves, being humble, temperate, keeping ourselves from all whispering and evil speaking, justified by our deeds and not by our words. For he says, he who says many things shall in return hear many things. (laughs) Hmm. Does he that is eloquent think himself to be just? We, we fall into that trap all the time, right? Gifted people uh, get a pass on their behavior. Next slide. Does he that is born of woman and lives but for a short time think himself to be blessed? Don't be abundant in speech. Let our praise be in God and not for ourselves, for God hates the self-praisers. Let the testimony of right actions be given us from others, even as it was given to our fathers who are just audacity, self-will, and boldness, Belong to them who are cursed of God, but moderation, humility, and meekness to them that are blessed of God. So let's ask the question then. So, so holiness is what pleases my father, who's my judge, 
I belong to him. He's transferred me into his family, right? So, so how does this work? How does this happen? How, how, what, what is it, what do I need to be doing? And what is it that I need to stop doing that will please my father? Well, um, one of the things that I've noticed about this is um, we, God has blessed us with so many families who've adopted. It is, it is one of the things that I love the best about this church. It's one of my favorite things. And one of my favorite things is to see a kid who is not biological, a biological child of a father mimic that father. That is, that is so hilarious to me because you look and you're like, that kid does not look anything like their dad until they open their mouth <laughs> or until they behave in a certain way. And you're like, I know, who's, you know, I know who your daddy is. I've heard that before. <laughs> I've seen that before. I, I, know, I know where that comes from, right? Um. So how do I know then? How am I going to know how I'm doing? How do I get this in my life? If I'm loved and I'm united to God in Christ, I have a new family, and as such, holiness is going to look like that family, like my father. So practically, what's something you can do? All right, here it is. These two questions. What would my father think of this? If, 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 if you're thinking about what, is, what drives holiness, what, if you're thinking about uh, what uh, uh, you have a, a behavior and, and, and you think this might not be what God would want, what would he think of it? What does he think about it? And secondly, could I eat, drink, look at, say, spend, whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing in the presence of my Father, with my older brother, Jesus. Could we do that together? Could I do this, sit at this table, do this certain thing with Jesus, who I belong to, who died for me, who owns me, my older brother? Could, could I do this and know that my father is pleased, who loves me, who cares for me, and that he could actually say, I, I see that boy, and I see myself in him, right? So the bottom line for us today as, as we come at this is the reality that our identity, what Jesus died to give us, drives, informs, energizes our behavior. And every time we act out of accord with our identity, it is an opportunity for us to stop what we're doing, repent, and re-remember whose we are. Let's pray. Lord, we need a sense of this today. Um, There's so many of us who... Um, are hiding behind a false righteousness. There's so many of us today who are um, contenting ourselves with, um, well, 
just thinking that we're better than others. Forgive us for that. Thank you, Jesus, that you have united us to yourself, that we belong to you and you belong to us, and that we have your righteousness. We have your holiness. And so I pray today, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, press that more and more into us. I pray that you would change and reorient uh, the desires of our hearts. And I pray that you would give grace to us uh, to, um, to ask the question of, is this something that we could do with you? Is this something that we could do and know that uh, you would be pleased with this behavior? Lord, press upon us today the precious ransom that was paid uh, for us and give us courage today to take you at your word and to live into the identity, Jesus, you have given us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As the guys come up to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give today. Only give if it's a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace.